Coming up on Garden Talk. Once I tried cocoa, I just, I never looked back. You know, the ability to control EC and water content and all the variables of cocoa are just so easy. If you stress them a little bit and make them think in flower, like, you know, this might be the end, they're going to go into a hyper growth mode and they're going to put out more calyxes. And so really you want to make sure that from the time that cutting roots or that seed pops, that you have momentum through the entire process. I found that that's one of the biggest things that will lead to a decreased yield. And so all of those things are basically telling the plant like, hey, you need to get on it. And so I do think that there's a lot of those techniques that can lead to the much larger harvests. What's up everybody, if you that don't know me, my name is Chris, AKA Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This is episode number 72. In this episode, I interview Nick Schweitzer. He has been gardening for 26 years and is an owner of Grow Strong Industries. In this episode, he talks about balancing the health and stress of plants in order to maximize yield and quality. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to Gorilla Grow Tent for sponsoring this episode. Gorilla is well known for their quality grow tents. They have a super strong frame, thick canvas density, and a height adjusting roof. It comes with a one foot extension kit and a two foot extension kit is optional so you can grow even taller plants. They also have the light line, same quality as the original Gorilla Grow Tents but with a few key design changes. Go to their website growstrongindustries.com and use discount code MrGrowIt for 15% off. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I am joined with Nick Schweitzer. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for asking. Today we're going to talk about creating a balance between the health of your plants and stressing them in order to produce maximum quality and quantity with the right tools. So things like spectrum control, nutrients, environment, so on and so forth. And you have, from what I hear, extensive knowledge in doing this. So I'm excited to hear what you have to talk to us about today. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'm co-owner and COO of uh, Grow Strong Industries. Um, and Grow Strong Industries is the parent brand for Gorilla Grow Tent, Kind LED Grow Lights, Lotus Nutrients, and Superponics. Um, and so I guess uh, my uh, plant medicine journey kind of started uh, growing up in Portland, Oregon uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, and uh, I was lucky enough to be surrounded um, by uh, very talented uh, cultivators and some of the best plant medicine uh, on the planet really at that time. Um, and uh, so that's kind of really where my interest in plant medicine uh, all started. Uh, and then in 97, I moved out to Colorado uh, to be a ski bum. And a couple of my friends at the time uh, were doing indoor gardens uh, in the mountains of Colorado. And that's really where my interest in indoor gardening started or my fascination with it really. Um, you know, the fact that these guys were growing, uh, you know, huge rooms, uh, you know, above, you know, 10,000 feet in elevation, uh, you know, in the middle of winter when it was snowing with five feet of snow on the ground. 
was really just kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and uh, that's really where my interest kind of got going. Uh, I was lucky enough to start helping them, um, you know, which is general garden maintenance, um, you know, start kind of getting tips and tricks and starting to learn, you know, the lay of the land. Uh, and then in 2001, I moved out to California. Um, at that time, California was just kind of blossoming from, you know, some medical laws that had just been passed about five years earlier. Um, and that's when I started running my own uh, indoor gardens. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been doing it ever since. Um, you know, I've been involved in small gardens, large gardens, outdoor, indoor. Um, I've kind of really ran the gamut um, with my, um, you know, cultivation uh, experience and exposure. Uh, and kind of through those trial and errors, um, which every grower goes through, um, you know, that's kind of what led me to be able to design products for Grow Strong Industries and all those brands that really kind of solve the pain points um, that a lot of growers face. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a decade on from now, uh, you know, designing all those products uh, and, and kind of, you know, doing what our core mission is, which is, you know, giving everybody the chance to have availability to plant medicine that they grew, um, that they saw through the process um, is, you know, I mean, that's kind of what keeps us going here. Awesome. And I just do want to say thank you ahead of time because Grow Strong Industries is actually a sponsor. So I know a lot of the viewers have seen probably the promotions I've done for your brand in the past and uh, you support me. So I just want to say thank you to that. Some of these episodes, a lot of these episodes wouldn't even be out there without sponsorship support and uh, you know being able to release content normalize is eventually going to help legalize in the future. So thank you for supporting the community. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're on the same mission, right? I mean, we're trying to teach people, uh, you know, how to have access to their own plant medicine, how to grow it. Um, you know, that goes for indoors, that goes for outdoors. Um, you know, I mean, we believe really that that kind of is a human right, you know, um, is to be able to grow your own vegetables and plant medicine and everything else. So we're, uh, we're aligned in that way. I completely agree. So there are so many different ways to grow plants, right? Different styles, I guess you can call it. Some people grow indoors, some outdoors, some people are in soil or cocoa or even a hydroponic system, uh, organic, synthetic. What's your grow style? Yeah, um, I mean, growing outdoors is beautiful, right? I mean, utilizing Mother Nature for most everything you need uh, is, is, is beautiful. Uh, and, and I love it. But really, you know, in terms of plant medicine, it, indoors has always been my realm. Um, and largely that's, you know, what our company does, uh, you know, is make products for indoor cultivation. Um, you know, there's something about indoor that just allows you to kind of control, uh, you know, what is going on, control the inputs to, um, you know, to the plant. And, you know, honestly, as we all know, you know, the quality of uh, what comes out of an indoor uh, facility is, is bar none. Um, you know, so I've always been an indoor guy. Um, you know, for many years I was soil uh, and I love soil. It's great. Um, you know, but once I tried cocoa, I just, I never looked back. Um, you know, the ability to control 
EC and water content and all the variables of cocoa are just so easy. Um, and then, you know, when you look at the root base that you can make in cocoa, I mean, you're talking about a medium that can have 90% water saturation and still have plenty of air to create a massive root base. I mean, when I saw the root bases that I was able to achieve in cocoa, I was like, there's no going back, you know? Um, and so cocoa has been my style for, you know, probably the last 10 years. Um, and I love it. You know, I use the two per mix from Royal Gold. Those guys are awesome. They're super good at what they do. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's always been cocoa for me. Uh, and then in terms of, uh, you know, fertilizer, you know, I, I tend to, to move away from the synthetic terminology, but I do use fertilizer salt um, formulations. Um, you know, I use my uh, nutrient, which is Lotus Nutrients. Um, it's a super simplistic, it's a, a you know, kind of all-in-one blend. Um, I've really never seen anything easier to use. I mean, back in the day when I was doing soil, I'd have a 12-part nutrient recipe that was honestly a pain in the butt to keep up with. It was super expensive. So moving to something like Lotus was, was great, um, you know, which is, you know, kind of what drove the innovation uh, of that product. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, in, in terms of my end goal uh, in indoor cultivation is always for the highest amount of biomass I can possibly get out of the inputs that I'm putting in uh, and that ultimate bag appeal, right? I mean, I want the plant medicine that's in a jar across the room and you say, what the hell is that? You know, and I've always found that, you know, fertilizer salts over organics uh, is the way to achieve the combo of both of those. Um, believe me, I'm an I'm a advocate for organic, you know, I mean, organic out in the vegetable garden always. And, uh, you know, the flavor profiles uh, of the smoke that you can get from organic is, is second to none. Um, you know, but for a lot of our clients, uh, commercial and home hobbyists, they're really looking to maximize weight and quality, uh, which is why we've always tended towards fertilizer salts. Gotcha. Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a balance between biomass and quality, right? You could just go for biomass, 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 and all of a sudden you have like foxtailing buds, for example. And it's just it, it diminishes that bag appeal. So like there are things that you can do in order to get high biomass but also sustain that quality. And that's really what this topic is going to be today. So let's start with uh, let's start with lighting. Can you tell us like what grow light do you currently use? Obviously Kind LED is the, is the brand that I use. Um, you know, currently I'm growing with our X squared, which is our commercial fixture. Um, you know, and it, it's a beast of a light. It puts out, you know, a ton of usable photons, um, you know, and I think it's a, this is a good uh, starting point, uh, you know, to talk about this, you know, health of the plant being the base versus the stress that we're giving, you know, the plant. Um, you know, because really, in, you know, there's a lot of uh, really high powered LEDs out on the market today that honestly, I think a lot of people have no clue what to even do with them at full power. Right. If you don't have all of the other inputs in your room 100% dialed, you are not going to be able to utilize all of the photons coming out of that light. Right. And those variables are EC, it's water content, it's CO2 levels, it's VPD levels. Like all of those things need to be dead on in order for you to even be able to utilize a thousand PPFD at plant canopy level. Um, you know, I've actually seen some of your past guests that talk about like, oh man, I just need to use that light at 50%, right? Um, and, uh, 
And so it's like, you know, it's probably the fact that they're getting better growth because some of their other variables are off and not to knock their growing style, you know, but that's typically if you turn your light up and you see light stress happening, that's, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that the other variables aren't up to snuff and that engine is running too fast for the other pieces to keep up with, right? Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I think it's really important to have all of the balance between these things that we're about to talk about in order to utilize that high PPFD uh, lighting. Um, you know, and so uh, and so for me, the X2 is the best. It's got a variable spectrum. I can, uh, you know, tune it to a veg spectrum. I can tune it to a flower spectrum. Um, and with what we call the targeted spectrum, which is basically, you know, us not relying so much on, you know, a white light LED that's got really high peaks in the yellows and the greens that, you know, five to 600 nanometer wavelength, um, you know, but it kind of has a more targeted spectrum, which is a more usable spectrum to the plant. We, you know, find that we can really crank all those variables up. We can get really high EC. We can utilize CO2 to the max uh, and we can get some pretty outstanding, uh, uh, you know, weights from our harvests as a result of it. And so, you know, in terms of stress for light level, typically those aren't going to be good for the plant, right? Um, when we talk about, you know, uh, beneficial stressors to the quality of flower when it comes to light, we're more talking about uh, UV light, uh, you know, and exciting the UVR8 protein to kind of crank up that secondary metabolite production. Um, you know, we have people that drastically changed their spectrum the last like week of flower, right? They crank all their reds down, all their whites down and go with a heavy blue. And that's the same thing. It's stressing the plant out and, and, and kind of kicking up that secondary metabolite production. Um, and so there are little tips and tricks that you can do with lighting to kind of bring out that stress. But if you're talking about low light levels or high light levels, those are typically the stressors that don't benefit you uh, and more kind of lock out your plant, if anything. Gotcha. For the record, I'm one of the ones that dim my grow lights in order to, to get through my grow because I don't uh, supplement CO2. Like I'm not running a 1400 PPM. And so CO2 is my limiting factor, right? So like if I don't dim my lights, I'm going to fry my plants because my CO2 levels aren't up there. Now I started using some CO2 and we'll get into CO2 later on in this episode because that is something that can be used to increase biomass, which is on the topic here. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I do like to dim my lights and make sure that, uh, I'm not running into foxtail issues, which happens to me a lot. The heat raises up, foxtailing occurs, and like we mentioned earlier, the the bag appeal just kind of diminishes on that avenue. So dives, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I've given you know that X two to friends or the X squared to friends of mine who have been growing longer than me, you know, and 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 do it on a commercial scale, and it takes them. Uh, you know, a minute to get used to how much light is actually coming out of that fixture. And I'm always like, man, you got to go harder. You got to go harder. CO2, EC, and, you know, old school grower mentality. It's like, ah, I can't really like press this threshold. And then they finally learn that like you have to crest that threshold. And when they do, they're like, oh my God, it was like amazing. The results that I started getting, right? So, I mean, the whole growing in general has been flipped on its head. Um, in the past, you know, five years or so. I mean, some of the things that we never thought to do or never thought were safe zones, and we'll get into that with the BPD thing, um, is now like, oh, that is where I want to be. And look at the, you know, look at the, the effect of that. So, 
So you touched upon how you use your grow light to maximize the yield and quality. You talked about light levels and spectrum, but kind of getting a little bit more detailed onto light levels, PAR. Now there are some people who go for specific PAR levels throughout the different stages of growth, or some people look at DLI. Is there any specific PAR levels that you're targeting for the different stages of growth in order to maximize yield or quality? When you look at certain plant medicines, um, you know, DLI is anywhere in the kind of like 40 to 45 range. Um, the problem with sometimes reaching those DLI levels is that when you're reaching maximum DLI levels, which would be maximum PPFD levels at plant canopy to achieve that, uh, you know, divided by the hours number, uh, number of hours your light is on, um, you know, it, it really rolls back to all those other variables. You know, I mean, I would say in a typical home grow scenario, getting over seven or 800 PPFD at plant canopy level is probably going to give you more problems than it is benefit. Um, and so if we could speak in terms of like 100% dialed environment, um, you know, commercial environment. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, cloning stage, you're looking at 150-ish uh, PPFD is plenty, um, you know, to, to carry out the cloning process. Uh, you know, young veg, you know, anywhere from four to 450 PPFD is usually what we target. Um, and then in flower, you know, I do have people that slowly ramp up through flowering. It's never really been my style. I kind of go all or nothing from the beginning. Um, and so, you know, I'm usually in that 800 to 1,000. Um, 1,000 is tough though, right? I mean, 1,000, like you better have all of your other variables dead on in order for that to turn out well. Um, but if you do, the results are amazing, right? And so, you know, I would probably say I tend more towards that 800-ish range um, because, you know, I, I can be lazy sometimes about, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, my temp and humidity are perfectly dialed, uh, you know. And so, and so sometimes, you know, when you don't have those controls, when everything's not completely automated, you know, tending towards the lower end of that spectrum is better. Uh, and it's counterintuitive to the way most people think, right? Wait, I give my plant less light and it does better, you know, but it, but it really, it just has to do with that, the harmony amongst all of those things. Um, so yeah, you know, probably about that 800-ish range in, in full flower. The, the margin of error is much less at those lower PPFD levels, right? I mean, you can have a EC swing, you can have a water content swing, you know, and it doesn't affect the plant as much. When you're redlining it, like, it better all be on, you know, so. So you already mentioned you're using Lotus Nutrients. Do you aim for different EC or PPM during the different stages of growth? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, you know, and again, it really has to do with the amount of light that you're giving your plants, um, you know, all your other variables. Again, all these variables kind of count on each other to, you know, give you the level of which, you know, what you take lighting to or EC to and everything else. So, you know, when using high PPFD lighting like the X squared, um, you know, I mean, I come right out of the gates at about a thousand PPM, which I've told people that and they're like, whoa, like really, you know? Um, and, you know, I've noticed that if you don't, you can get a little clone to lock out pretty quick because with that amount of light and with CO2 augmentation, it just wants to go. Uh, you know, so 1,000 ppm, that's what, 2.0 uh, EC. Um, you know, I'm typically drifting towards 
probably 1300, uh, you know, towards the latter stages of, you know, the vegetative stage um, and into flowering, which is about 2.6 EC. And then, uh, you know, through the first, you know, about every two weeks in flower, I'm stepping it up about 100 ppm until I get to about 1800, um, which is, you know, 3.2 EC. Uh, and sometimes I feel like that's not even enough. I mean, the plants are just soaking it up and just taking it. Um, and I have a lot of commercial clients that are growing way higher than that. I mean, I've got a lot of people that are in that 3.6 to 3.8 EC range. Um, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, crop steering techniques, I mean, sometimes they're touching the like 5.0 range, which is insane to me. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, if you if you don't have an automated system, uh, you know, similar to like an Arroyo, you're playing with fire, you know, and you're playing with fire above 3.0 EC uh, if everything else isn't 100% dialed. Um, but so, yeah, so I kind of slowly ramp up through flower and, you know, usually end at 3.2. Okay. And then how about pH? A lot of people monitor the pH. I know you said you're in cocoa. There's different pH ranges for soil versus cocoa. What do you do for pH? Yeah, I mean, I'll have to admit pH is something that I don't check all the time. <laughs> and, and, and here's why. Uh, it's because I know the pH of my input water. I know my nutrients really well. I know where when I mix to a certain nutrient strength, it's going to be at about this pH. And I know how much up and down to, to choose, right? And so for me, it's like I, I don't check it every time, but I am trying to go into that 6.0 to 6.2 range. Uh, in cocoa. Um, you know, soil, obviously you're drifting a little bit higher, sometimes all the way up to like 6.5, 6.6. And in hydro, you're obviously going lower, you know, all the way down to like 5.5. Cocoa, I'm trying to stay in that 6.0 to 6.2 range. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, that's one of those things where sometimes after you've grown for a while, after you kind of get used to the nutrient program that you're using, it becomes kind of intuitive, right? Um, and that goes for feeding too. I mean, sometimes I'll be in there and I'll be on a, you know, 1500 PPM level and I'm like, yeah, they look like they want a little bit more and I'll, you know, I'll give them a little bit more. Uh, and sometimes same thing. I'll be like, ah, you know, it looks like a little bit of tip burn. I'll pull back a little bit. And so, you know, it, it's, I think it's important to kind of be intuitive in gardening too, not just always following the instruments, not just always following the recipe because that can get you into trouble, you know? Um, and that's largely the, you know, issue I have with these full automations that we're seeing these days. It's like, it's a plant, you know? Like it wants to be loved, it wants to be paid attention to. And, you know, every once in a while you need to kind of adjust your game plan based on your intuition of what you're seeing in the plant. I've had really good luck doing 5.8 pH going into cocoa. I feel like that's a little bit more simple than soil at times controlling pH because I feel like soil is so many things in the actual medium that's adjusting the pH right plants releasing acids as microbes in there so on and so forth but yeah for for cocoa in particular since you're a cocoa grower I forgot to mention it uh, 5.8 pH is is what I do so and I actually do start a little bit under 6.0 I usually start at like 5.9 which is a weird number uh, and then slowly kind of raise it up over the over the course which kind of just naturally happens as I build strength uh, in my nutrient uh, program. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and, and, and I mean, runoff is an important one, right? I mean, I, I, in fact, I think it's almost for me more important to check my runoff every once in a while than it is to check my, in, you know, inbound nutrient solution. 
just to make sure that there's nothing funky going on in the medium. So I would 100% recommend that to anybody that's growing cocoa or soil. Um, you know, and then in terms of like stressing uh, with nutrient strength, I don't really think there's anything there, um, you know, in terms of quality. I mean, I think if you underfeed, uh, I don't think that will ever really go too well for you unless your inputs are off and then it could be as what the thing that saves your garden, right, is by underfeeding. Um, you know, uh, overfeeding, yeah, if you have all your inputs on, you can really kind of get to that, you know, level of pushing the plant, ultimately making a healthy base for it. Um, but if you talk about the irrigation side of things and the water content in the medium, now you're talking about a stress that can have a beneficial effect on the plant. Um, you know, I don't, it, it, I'm kind of a wildflower nut, uh, and they always say the best year to go out and see wildflowers is after a drought year, uh, which is kind of counterintuitive. Um, but that's the plant saying, oh my God, we don't have enough water to survive, and so they end up making more seed stock and drop it on the ground. Because for an annual, that's the point, is to continue on with life. Um, and so it's the same thing with plant medicines. You know, if you stress them a little bit and make them think in flower, like, it, you know, this might be the end, they're going to go into a hyper growth mode and they're going to put out more calyxes that are for hopefully in nature, they would want that to become a seed. We don't want that in indoor growing. Um, and, and, you know, but that's kind of the, the, the mode they go into. They go into survival mode and they say, I need to regenerate as much as possible uh, to, you know, to counteract the conditions that I'm uh, being put in. Um, and, you know, you want the exact opposite when you're in vegetative stage. You want that stress to be non-existent. You want the fastest, most healthy, robust growth you can get. So that's why we want more water content in the soil during that period. Uh, but then once you get into flower, letting them kind of dry a little bit, you know, it's called a dryback in, in crop steering techniques, uh, is actually a, a kind of a, a good stressor for the plant. Okay, so drought stress. I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, so, so you're saying later on in flowering, around what weeks would you say, would you typically do drought stress? Yeah, typically, I mean, you know, in, in crop steering techniques, they say after week three, right? I mean, weeks one through three, that's where it's still really kind of in a vegetative stage. It's in that stretch stage. Once it gets into week three, you've got good flower development, and that's when you kind of want to start introducing that stress, um, you know, which is basically, you know, when you irrigate, right? Um, you irrigate, you cut off your irrigation more towards the middle of the day. So if in cocoa, if you're doing high frequency fertigation and you're doing multiple shots or irrigation times through the day, you want to cut that off, you know, three or four hours before your lights turn off and let that dry period kind of go for a little bit longer than you normally would, rather than irrigating all the way up until the lights turn off or even when the lights are off, which some people do. Um, which is basically keeping that medium wet enough that that plant's like, I have everything I need. I'm healthy, I'm good. Uh, and it doesn't get that kind of kick in the butt to say, oh man, I need to start going. I need to start really producing, you know, what's, what's ultimately going to be my survival. Gotcha. I'll have to play around with drought stress a little bit more. The, the tough thing is, is like when you're growing with organics, for example, it's often advised to keep the medium moist at all times because the amendments there need to be broken Micro down by microbes, right? The microbes need to be active if it's dry. Yeah, yeah. They're not there breaking down that organic matter and turning them into usable nutrients for the plants. But on the mineral nutrient side, yeah, I mean, I used to actually do that all the time. Now that I, I think about it is when I water, right? So anytime I water, 
you do the old uh, stick your thumb down in the medium and if the top inch is bone dry, then you know to water, right? So maybe that's a form of drought stress that is uh, actually helping with some of those secondary metabolites, for example. So I'll have to play around with it a little bit more. Yeah, and it's... yeah, and I mean, we're not talking about drying the medium out to where leaves are, uh, you know, folding down, right? I mean, it's uh, <clears throat> drought stress can be, you know, just letting the, the, the medium dry out a little bit more than you usually do, you know, not to where it's affecting microbial life, um, you know, but, but to where it's, you know, telling the plant, hey, you know, you might not be getting water again for a while, like you better go kind of a thing. And, you know, that's a, a good point is, um, you know, one of the things that I want to stress the most about just the overall cultivation experience is that most plant medicines rely hugely on momentum, right? Momentum is so big for having those perfect harvests with the most weight and the best quality. Um, And that momentum can be thrown off in a lot of ways. You know, either you you rooted your clones and you were a week late to getting them into, you know, whatever medium you were using, or you were late to transplant into a bigger pot, or they dried out too much to the point where they were wilting, right? All of those things will stop that momentum of a plant. And just one event like that will have a huge impact on your final harvest. And so really you wanna make sure that from the time that cutting roots or that seed pops, that you have momentum through the entire process. Um, I found that that's one of the biggest things that will lead to a decreased yield uh, is some kind of stressed event somewhere along or or large stress event, I should say, um, you know, that, that ends up taking the momentum out of the plant. Well, that makes sense. Let's flip it up. Let's talk about environment. So uh, let's start with temperature. What temperature do you typically aim for? Yeah, um, indoors, I mean, you know, uh, setting uh, has a lot to do with it, <laughs> you know, where you live and everything else. Um, you know, I think for home growers, temperature and humidity are obviously two of the things that are the hardest to control, um, you know, in small settings. But, you know, I'm usually aiming for about 82 is kind of my comfort zone. Um, you know, all the way up to, you know, maybe 85. Um, you know, I know people that run their rooms even hotter than that, um, which, you know, it's just uncomfortable to work in. I don't think it's really that great, uh, you know, for the plants. Um, and uh, anything lower than that, um, you know, old school HPS days, we, you know, 76 to 78, um, but that was before we had VPD and all that kind of jazz uh, happening. So, you know, 82 is my sweet spot. Um, but again, you know, adjusting temperature, if you can't get humidity up that high is a good thing to do. I mean, really, when you look at temperature, you really want to be looking at temperature and humidity combined for that VPD measurement uh, and staying within a healthy, healthy VPD range, if, if at all possible. You know, um, you know, some of these humidity levels that we're starting to talk about these days, you know, you tell that to an old school grower 20 years ago and they think you're insane, right? I mean, 82 degrees, I think proper BPD in that range is 72, 74-ish percent humidity. And all, you know, a grower would be like, you're crazy. That's like powdery mildew, right? Um, but it's not. I mean, that's where stomata are breathing healthy. That's where the plant is healthy. And powdery mildew attacks unhealthy plants. It's not humidity that causes it. Um, humidity can exacerbate it. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, spore production uh, or reproduction happens at high humidities, but that's not what the cause of powdery mildew is. 
Uh, it's actually an unhealthy plant, and an unhealthy plant is a plant that's not breathing correctly, so it's really about keeping those stomata open and functioning and breathing. Um, and so really it boils down to BPD. Yeah, my next question for you was what relative humidity do you aim for? And you've answered that. Uh, so at 81 degrees Fahrenheit temperature, it's around 70% relative humidity. Is that what you've mentioned? Yeah, I think I think at 82, I think it's 72 to 74, I think is this is the safe range. Is that for the entire grow or is that only for veg and then you kind of lower it for flower? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, typically in veg is when you will see the higher uh, humidity ranges and a lot of people do kind of pull back um, for flower. And honestly, even in late flower, I'll pull that back even further. Um, you know, when, when you have huge, you know, swollen flowers, uh, you know, I always kind of get a little bit gun shy at keeping my humidity. So, you know, it is where I'd be at 72, 74 during veg. I'd probably pull that down to like 65, 68 during flower. And then I'd probably pull that down even further to like 60, 62 during those like last couple of weeks of flower, just so I can make sure that I don't have any other problems. Uh, you know, like bud rot or anything like that. Um, so, gotcha. And uh, CO two. I know you mentioned that you supplement CO two. How do you supplement CO two? And then, what level PPM do you typically aim for? Yeah. So CO two again, it all has to do with the other variables, light levels. Uh, you know, EC. I mean, all of these things are interconnected. As you're seeing, that that's kind of my theme. Um, and so with CO2, I mean, the easiest way to uh, augment CO2 is probably a CO2 burner. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, lugging tanks in and out of your house uh, isn't uh, very discreet for one. Um, and uh, it's also a pain in the butt, like, you know, lugging the tanks to the hydro store or the gas store to get them filled. Um, and so a CO2 burner is probably the easiest way. Uh, a tank of propane lasts pretty long. Uh, but you do have to deal with the excess heat coming off of uh, a CO2 burner and they might not be practical for smaller applications. I mean, you know, CO2 burner for a room four to 10 lights uh, is probably practical. And so that's how I've always done it. Um, I've always ran in the like 1200 to 1500 PPM range. Um, and that seems to work for me. I've heard of people going all the way up to like 2500 PPM. Um, which is pretty crazy. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of CO2, uh, and I've heard you know people having great results with as little as like 800. I mean, I think ambient CO2 is somewhere in the 400 to 450 range. Um, you know, so for someone like you who's not augmenting CO2, you know, refreshing that room to get that ambient CO2 back to levels is super important. Um, but I've had great success even at, at 800. So. I've been playing around a little bit with supplementing CO2. Like I got uh, those TMB Naturals canisters. They sent me over those. I tried those out for a while. It can be very expensive using those. I am currently trying out the mushroom bags, 365 exhale bags, and I have that hanging above the plants. And uh, it, I do have a uh, CO2 monitor in there. So monitoring the PPM, it does raise it, but it's not constant. And the way I have my exhaust set up is it's AC infinity. So it's kind of automated. So once I have the set point set, so when it reaches 82 degrees Fahrenheit, I aim for the, the same temperature you do, uh, it'll start exhausting out some of that heat and it'll take some of that CO2 with it. So um, that's the unfortunate thing about it. Yeah. But uh, but I figured I'd you know, try it out and see what happens. And it does uh, raise up the CO2 quite a bit. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you don't have, you know, tanks or a CO2 burner, I mean, any kind of augmentation that you can get in there is better, uh, you know. And the mushroom bags are awesome. I mean, mushrooms, I think, are probably going to save our world at some point. Uh, so um, I, I wholeheartedly support those. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, anything you can do to get those levels up, the better. Now, how about air circulation and air exchange? Both of those things are, are very important. What do you do for that? And do you use that for precision stress at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, air circulation is probably one of the more underrated uh, and underutilized, uh, you know, theories in a, a grow room. Um, you know, getting proper air circulation in a grow room is a challenge. Um, you know, a lot of people have circulation fans that kind of just blow at their plants uh, and, you know, move air around a little bit around that, you know, immediate uh, vicinity. But really what you're trying to do is get as much turbulation in that room as possible so that you're getting air through the canopy and not just blowing at the canopy, right? You know, a lot of those crevices where all those leaves are kind of in close proximity, you know, the humidity levels within those little pockets can be actually a lot higher than what your sensor is actually telling you. So getting air movement through that whole entire canopy is super, super important. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, in terms of stress, yeah, I mean, blowing wind on those plants is just like blowing wind in nature. It's going to tell that plant, hey, you need to produce stockier stems, uh, you know, to support, um, you know, the wind that you're getting. So you can have light stress on the plant that actually makes it sturdier um, through air circulation. Uh, and then in your case, right, turning over that air and evacuating that air out of the room so that you get ambient CO2 to be replenished. Uh, is super important, right? Stale air is never a good thing. Um, when you're doing CO2 augmentation, it's a little bit different of an equation because you're trying to actually keep that atmosphere in the room, keep those really high levels of CO2 because, you know, again, it's either coming from a tank or it's coming from a burner. So it makes no sense to pull that out of the room. Um, but I would still do probably every 24 hours a full room refresh just to kind of pull the staleness out of the air, get everything cycled, uh, and then turn you know, the exhaust system off and kind of get back to uh, you know, that high CO2 environment. Um, so yeah, airflow is very underrated uh, in grow rooms. And I think you know, a lot of problems end up getting caused by lack of uh, airflow. I completely agree with you that the air circulation is underrated and you know, air exchange as well. I'm actually doing a grow right now where I have one plant that is just covered in trichomes and it's right next to the fan and then the other one same cultivar different phenotypes so i can't it's not really a fair comparison but um the one directly next to the fan is just covered in trichomes and there's that theory of wind stress right is that wind stress actually causing it to produce more trichomes hard to prove i don't think anybody's ever Good. proven that yet but uh but that's something that, that is often said that can help cause precision stress you know and help help that secondary metabolites yeah i mean yeah exactly i mean that's what it all boils down to right is those secondary metabolites anytime a plant is stressed it says you know i mean what secondary metabolites are you know, there for the plant to attract insects, uh, you know, make more uh, seed stock. I mean, all of the things that, you know, are kind of like it's survival tactics. Anytime you introduce stress, that's what it starts to kick into high gears. All of those things that it needs to, you know, basically survive. Um, and so wind stress probably can absolutely do that. Uh, you know, and then, you know, really if one plant has better air circulation around it throughout its growing cycle than some of the plants behind it, 
it could just have a more healthy base and be a healthier plant in general, allowing it to, you know, be better quality when it's done, right? I mean, you need a healthy plant in order to take the stresses that we give them. If you don't have a healthy plant and you give it stress, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna go south on you, right? It's gonna lock out, it's gonna you know, be a weak harvest. If you have a healthy plant and then you bring those stresses in, it's gonna have you know, a good effect, which is that plant's gonna be like, well, now I'm kicking all these processes into high gear, secondary metabolites, seed production, all that stuff. Well, calyx production. That's a really, really good point there. So I don't think we could talk about biomass increasing yield and stuff without talking about plant training. You know, that's uh, often done. Manipulating the plant in different ways, doing training, whether it be a low stress training, high stress training, there are so many different things that you can do. What do you typically do for plant training in order to maximize yield or quality? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you talk about, uh, you know, plant training, <clears throat> I mean, obviously yield is a huge one, right? Uh, you can train a plant five different ways and get five different results in terms of yield. So, you know, where that technique comes in, I think is when you are limited in your plant numbers that you can grow, right? I mean, here in California, um, we're allowed to grow six plants, uh, uh, you know, with the rec laws. And so when you can only grow six plants, I mean, some of these kind of super cropping techniques are, you know, pinching off and, you know, really starting to spread out that top canopy and get a lot of different flower sites can be massive. I mean, you can quadruple your yield that you can get off of just four plants. Um, you know, in my, uh, in my experience, it really does boil down to the strain that you're growing. Um, some strains just don't take to that kind of stress as well as others. I've seen certain strains that don't want to be topped. They don't want to be pinched. They don't want anything. Um, they do much better by just letting them grow, letting that apex flower happen and some of that lateral branching. And, and that's where you get the, the highest yields. I've seen other strains that perform poorly in that, in that way. And they want to be topped and they want, they want to have, you know, multiple lateral branch sites. So I do think that that's, uh, you know, can be strain specific. Um, you know, but for my style of growing, I usually, you know, want to be as low maintenance as possible so I don't get over crazy with my training techniques or anything like that. Um, you know, and so I usually top once if it's a strain that allows that and I kind of just let them go. Um, I usually flip into flower at a pretty young age, so I'm not doing a ton of, you know, stress training or anything like that. You know, in terms of, um, you know, leaf stripping, um, you know, the, the week before flower leaf stripping, the three week leaf stripping. I mean, again, that's the, that's all those are all those little signs of the plant saying, wow, I just lost all this foliage. I need to kick into overdrive. Right. I need to kick into overdrive. My you know, you could make the argument that you're now getting light further down into the canopy because some of those leaves are you know not existing. I don't know if I buy into that as much. But when you're stripping the plant of everything, it's like, man, I need to go. I need to start, you know, reproducing all those leaves so I can get back to having my, you know, my, my, my light pads. And, you know, I need to start, you know, hyper, you know, going into flower overdrive. And so all of those things are basically telling the plant like, hey, you need you need to get you need to get on it, you know. Um, and so I do think that there's a lot of those techniques that can lead to, to, to much larger harvests. Taking a step back and thinking about everything that has to do with growing what other advice do you have for those who are looking to maximize yield and or quality 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think with growing, uh, you know, a lot of times it's like, don't overthink it. <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think largely people tend to overthink the growing and, you know, they, they, they try to get almost a little bit too nitpicky on it. Um, you know, it, it's something that, you know, I think that you need to, again, use your intuition um, and you need to kind of pay attention to what the plants are saying, you know, pay attention to the little signals that they're giving you, uh, you know, and, and adjust uh, accordingly. Um, you know, again, you do in order to use some of these stress techniques, you do have to have a healthy base first. Right. And that has that goes back to, uh, you know, what we've been talking about, which is, you know, the correct balance between lighting, CO2, EC and water content and CO2. Um, you know, if you have all of those things in harmony and working together, then you can go in to do all of those little stress techniques with UV, um, you know, with water suppression, with, you know, stripping of leaves uh, at week three of flower, like all those little things, would the, the plant will react great because it's now in a healthy state where it's like, I can handle that stress and here's the production that I'm going to put out as a result of it. Um, if you don't have a healthy base to start with, you're just going to ruin your harvest. You know, you're going to, you're basically going to, you know, uh, you're going to throw the plant over the edge uh, and you're going to have decreased yields and you're going to have poor quality. Um, and so, you know, it's really concentrating on getting that healthy base first, then starting to incorporate some of those stress techniques uh, is, is really probably what I would say. Yeah, I think that's some really good advice there. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can find me on basically, um, all of our YouTube channels, uh, grow strong industries, gorilla grow tent, kind LED grow lights, Lotus nutrients, uh, and super ponics, um, or super closet, um, all have their individual social channels. Um, all have individual YouTube channels. We're trying to consolidate everything onto grow strong industries. Um, you know, and we've got some great products, uh, you know, in the pipeline coming out, probably none of which I'm at liberty to talk about quite yet. Um, you know, but if you keep an eye on our websites, um, then uh, you'll be seeing them come out here soon. And uh, we're just going to continue doing what we've always done, you know, which is try to, you know, make world class products that answer to those pain points um, that growers have and uh, continue making it easier and easier for people to have access to plant medicine and to grow their own um, because you know it's not only fun but it's you know super rewarding um, and, and at the end of the day everybody should be able to to do that you know everybody should be able to grow their own plant medicine and the vegetables that they put on their table for dinner um, I think it's super important. I think as a humanity, we need to get back to our connection with nature. Uh, and it's a great way to do it. You know, watching that plant go through all of its processes and, you know, it's a labor of love being able to see it go through those processes and harvest it and consume it. It's uh, there's nothing there's nothing like it. Um, and so, you know, helping people kind of get back to that uh, is, is our main goal. Nice, nice. Yeah, I saw on social media recently, you guys announced a, like, was it like a signature grow tent with like Tommy Chong or something like that? That's that's pretty cool, huh? That just launched <laughs> yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it did. It just launched. It's been a, a little while in the making, um, but uh, Tommy's team reached out to us and wanted to partner on a grow tent. I was like, absolutely. You know, obviously, you know, Tommy Chung has been an integral part of this industry. Um, you know, he's been a pioneer in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, he has been fighting for that same thing, you know, people having, uh, you know, free access to plant medicine. And so, you know, we've always supported Tommy and his, uh, his mission in life. And he's a great guy. He's funny as hell. Um, and uh, it was a pretty cool project uh, to work on. So we're pretty excited about it. He's certainly a legend in this industry. And we actually had him on uh, another podcast I'm on called From the Stash. He came on there and he was sitting there and he's telling all these stories and boy, can he talk. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's such a classic guy. I mean, super nice. And like I said, I mean, it's just everything that comes out of his mouth is just, you know, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a, just, just, just a sweet, sweet guy. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely have a link to your channel. Probably, I'll put, probably put the Grow Strong Industries one down in the YouTube description section below. If you're tuning in on one of the podcast platforms, just search for them. Either Grow Strong Industries or Gorilla Grow Tent, Lotus Nutrients, Kind LED. All of those fall under Nick. And uh, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode, and I would love for you to tune in to future episodes. Nick, thank you so much for coming on to this episode today. This was awesome. This was really, really cool. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone. See you in the next episode.